Hello, friends. Welcome to Nexus, a smart buildings technology podcast for smart humans. I'm your host, James Dice. If we haven't met before, I write a weekly newsletter on this same topic. It's also called Nexus. Each week, I share what I've learned, my opinions, and what I'm excited about in the quickly evolving world of intelligent buildings. Readers have called Nexus the best way to stay up to date on the future of this industry without all the marketing fluff. You can check it out and subscribe at nexus.substack.com or click the link in the show notes. Since starting the Nexus newsletter, many of you have reached out to me wanting to talk shop, and we have. After a few weeks of those wonderful conversations, I realized I needed to record and share them with our growing community. So here we are. The Nexus podcast is born. This is our chance to explore and learn with the brightest in our industry together. Episode 27 is a conversation with Joe Gasperdoni of Montgomery Technologies out of California and someone who has a unique background in both commercial real estate and technology. Joe gave his answer to my favorite question and talked about how the base building or enterprise building network enables smart building technology and what can happen when that enabling step is skipped. This is a great primer for those of us in the Nexus audience who know the smart building resolves around the connectivity of the building automation system, but are just beginning to wrap our heads around what happens when all the other types of things in the building start coming online. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nexus Pro. Nexus Pro is an annual or monthly subscription where members get exclusive writing, podcasts, and an invite to a monthly members-only event. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexus.substack.com. This episode is also brought to you by Nexus Foundations, an introductory course on smart buildings. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. Cohort 2 is set to kick off in winter 2021, and you can enroll at courses.nexuslabs.online. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Nexus Podcast. All right. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. Thank you for coming on. Can you uh, start by introducing yourself for us? Joe Gasperdoni, COO of Montgomery Technologies. Montgomery is a uh, riser manager and secure network provider. So two divisions, one company. Cool. And we're going to dive into what all of that means. Can you start though, by telling us how you got here? So I know you have a history <laughs> yeah. in real estate. So tell us about your career history. A long and winding road. Um, came out of college, went to work for uh, equity property management, big property management company, did some acquisition disposition work got my broker's license and I, I started my own real estate company syndicating deals. When you're growing a, a real estate company, you basically are doing everything. I was involved in finance, you know, contracts, you name it in the sort of path of growing a business. I was doing it. And then we got to a point where the software needs were, were just not meeting what we needed to grow. And that led to founding a software company, long story there, but it, we founded an enterprise property management software company. I started that in like 95 or 96, saw the dot-com boom and bust go right through what we were doing, which was, was actually software. It was like client server software. Exited that in 2001, sold it to a larger management software company, but not before we'd signed up our first two REITs. So we really got 
all the way through the, the system and the scale of growing that software company. Went back to commercial real estate in 2001. And then Greg Jones, the president of Montgomery, is a good friend of mine. And I helped him found it and sort of acted as a, an advisor over the years. And so fast forward 15 years and I come in as the COO and uh, the last four years, it's just been an awesome ride. It's been growing both sides of the business, riser management and intelligent riser, which is the secure network piece and watching these divisions develop and mature and people, you know, it takes a year to get really effective in your role in this business. So watching that mature over time and people now with three and four years experience just being able to, to go out and do it. So it's a strange combination. I really do sometimes feel like a unicorn of like hardcore operational experience and a pretty deep technology experience. So it's been a, it's been a great ride though. You don't, you don't get that opportunity very often. Uh, that's amazing. Cool. Thanks for taking us through that. I also stumbled across a wine app on, uh, on Google. Yeah. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. You know, when uh, 2008 hit, we were sitting in the middle of this giant recession and we, we had prepared for it. We were fortunate to have somebody who is a commercial real estate appraiser as part of our group. So we were okay. a little bit like the canary in the coal mine and we could see a lot of that coming. And we restructured leases we retrenched. Oh, wow. So we actually came through it pretty intact. I mean, nobody was perfectly intact, but we, we came out of it in pretty good shape. But there were like two or three years where you'd show up for work and there was literally nothing to do. The markets were frozen, no transactional stuff, no finance, nothing. You're just sitting on what existed. So this guy and I decided, you know, we're going to follow our passion for a while. We have six hours a day. Why don't we, why don't we go down that road? <laughs> So we created this wine app and um, wine channel. And, and actually today, it's still the most watched wine channel on YouTube. If you, uh, that's if you, awesome. if you Google how to pronounce Gewürztraminer, I come up before the definition, which is really embarrassing. Thank you for <laughs> <that>. <laughs> No problem. Well, I was just looking for a headshot uh, for you. And I came across, yeah, I came across uh, a bunch of stuff. So yeah, they, uh, the um, employees get a great kick out of that. And as you can imagine, I, I see memes of myself, which is really annoying. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's jump from there into today's topic. So as I usually do, I want to start with my favorite question. I know you're excited about this. So uh, from your perspective, why is technology in the average building uh, decades behind other technology and in other industries? First of all, thank you, because this has been like a splinter in my brain for, <laughs> for months. And then people are giving great answers, by the way, like they really do. They come up with things like, yeah, I actually hadn't thought about it that mm -hmm. way. But the thing I think that's missing is like so many answers, the real answer is rooted in history. And mm -hmm. it's one that I lived. And so I know it's the answer. And the answer is in 1990, in 1993, in 1994, people were using DOS software. That was technology. Technology in commercial real estate was like a non-existent thing. The BMS was not even considered technology. It was considered like a refrigerator or mm. uh, you know, a toaster. It wasn't technology. They were things that were utility and that had like a serial connection to make it work. So it didn't really qualify. Hmm. And the people in commercial real estate, the founder, you know, Sam Zell, founder of Equity, that guy is a salt of the earth guy. And to mm. him, ledgers, paper ledgers, didn't make mistakes. You could go there, you never lose it. 
technology was like a roll of the dice risky proposition. So if something worked and it was on DOS, it stayed on DOS through the 80s. It went all the way into the mid 90s. They're very, very slow because technology to real estate is a cost and hmm. the ROI behind it was not provable. And so if you couldn't prove it, you didn't use it. So there were no CTOs in the you know mid 90s. Okay. That wasn't even a thing. And the first CTOs were like the weakest position in the entire organization. They just had no ability to move the ball or get anything done. So the true answer is that technology was basically DOS software, which everybody hated and nobody would come into the market. Well, you can imagine if there's no value seen to technology, then people will not develop anything in a market where they, they don't value it and they don't want it. So mm. that's, that was the reality sort of, of where things were. Then you kind of had incremental progress in software, but guess what happened? The dot-com bus. So you had people trying to develop property management software and cold fusion back then. And these things were just wild crash and burns. And the people who tried to jump on just got crushed by that. And they, you know, many of them lost their jobs because it was, it was just not ready for the enterprise level use. And the budgets weren't there to really, you know, nobody was going to pay $900,000 a year to subscribe or to pay for online property management software. So you have this fundamental difference of perspective where the people who ran the companies saw technology as a risk and a cost. And then you had the market saying, well, I'm not going to go in that market and develop anything technological because I can't get enough uptake. Mm -hmm. And between that and the dot-com bust, we just now, I mean, like this is the beginning of finally recovering from that long cycle of where people can actually prove an ROI, can actually show some benefit, some gain. So we're just now coming out of that. And it's just, you know, it's really at the nation stage. That's just where we are. As sad as that is, because we're so far behind. Yeah, yeah. And just like I'm looking backwards, you, you just like caught me up from a lot of the history that happened when I was, you know, before I was 10 years old. But what I'm seeing now is there are a lot of these, and we're going to the real conference this week. There are a lot of yeah. real estate organizations that are participating in that, and they have these CTOs. I think one of the people on the panel that I interviewed yesterday was uh, chief technology and innovation officer uh, of a very large REIT. So, how do you yeah. what do you think has changed within these organizations? Like, why have they added these new roles and and new perspectives? The biggest reason is um, you couldn't avoid it. It was like, you know, you're standing uh -huh. in the middle of the street and here comes the truck or the train. And you really, there was no way around it. Eventually, every new system, every new device had to have some connectivity. Property management offices really, really needed to be connected back to the central office. Um, so you just couldn't avoid it. And it started with the PMOs coming back to the corporate and then now we're just like at the beginning of this wave of connected devices in the buildings, things that people don't even think of. And so you have to have somebody at the top now to manage and organize and at least start to create sort of plans, operational plans, rollout plans, things like that. A lot of them are still very weak and they don't have a, a lot of budget to work with. 
but they are now able to give like the stamp of approval on things that can actually help move the ball forward on the sort of local building by building level. I'm picturing like general technology sort of like dragging along the real estate organizations versus what you like would think would be happening is an organization says, how can we use technology to strategically, you know, help our business? What I'm picturing you just described is like this, like dragging into the future. I hate it. It's like I've lived it for so long and it, it just, it's an awful thing about this industry but it's just the truth and it's really the historical truth. And that, that's why we're sort of where we are today. But I mean, the good news is, is you really can look forward. Like there are meaningful dollars going into technology now. A lot of companies are starting in the right place and a lot are starting in the wrong place, in my opinion. But there are enough that are moving things forward with talent. You know, your, your Nexus is a great example of that. You know, you've got hundreds of people who really are the smart cream of the crop people that are an audience now and networking with each other. And that is the beginning of the future. So, I mean, everybody who's here can see with some optimism what we have to look forward to. So that, you know, you don't have to experience the pain of the past. Just look forward. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So for all of you listeners out there, Joe thinks a a whole hell of a lot of all of you. So uh, he's excited to meet you. So let's talk about Montgomery real quick. So you mentioned the two sides of the business. Can you go into a little bit more detail on each side? Sure. So Montgomery was founded 18 years ago as a riser management company. And riser management, a lot of people aren't, aren't exactly familiar with what that means. But it basically came out of when the phone companies got deregulated, they basically handed back ownership of all of the internal copper infrastructure to the buildings Hmm. and said, all right, this is on you. Uh, You handle that. We're not touching it anymore. When was that? That was uh, just early 2000s, 2002 or 2001, right in there. Okay. And so that happened in these, you know, AT&T was a regional bell. There were all these baby bells. And they basically all at once became deregulated and handed back this infrastructure. Now the building's sitting on this going, well, a new tenant's moving in, like, what do I do? And the answer became for a lot of markets, riser management. We will manage that infrastructure, the vertical cabling, and then we'll make sure that, you know, the two copper pairs get connected to the right vertical piece and then get extended to the tenant. So that was the primitive beginning of all that. But what came out of that also was sort of a highly evolved access screening process to make sure that not just anyone could get into those places because, you know, (laughs) the guy, if AT&T got in there, they would want to do that as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible, and they might take down somebody else. So there was a lot of the the, the access restriction became a really sort of piece of that. And that fast forward 18 years has grown into the fiber side, networking side. And that is, you know, that's sensitivity times a hundred because you have everybody's everything running through that riser. Now you have all of everybody's cloud access, you know, high speed transactional, you know, stock market related stuff. Like you really have, full business operations running through that riser. So that has sort of expanded and, and grown over time because people realize, hey, we need some management and control over this. And there's a real surprisingly deep process to the screening, insurance, you know, who gets access to what, under what circumstances, very, very specific, and then documenting all that, you know, what it, what's there. 
and making sure it's done to code, done to the building standard. There's, you know, there's a, sort of a lot under the hood when it comes to riser management. So that's that side of the business. And where and does I, the yeah. OT stuff come into that equation? Yeah, so you've got what I call, I call that the old business. The new business and the sort of OT side, hmm. about 10 years ago, Greg really saw this coming. He was doing uh, some work for Vornado and some other large real estate players, Shorenstein, and they were starting to submeter and add these submeters. And these submeters needed a way to be connected. And he kind of had a light bulb moment and saw, you know what, this is where everything is going to have to be at some point down the road. And so right then, and it literally was like a full 10 years ago, we started doing the work of connecting these things and cabling them. But within a year or two, we decided, hey, nobody's got a way of, of ensuring these things are up and running, that there's a network. Nobody had a network experience at all. So we started to build the first networks that could be leveraged for multiple systems. And that was the, the genesis of it. And then to show you how these things grow, this is kind of a funny story. We were sort of doing it on an ad hoc basis as business came in or the need arose and we would serve the need. But then this guy from BlackRock, and they had a big portfolio that was being managed by a large company. And this, I think it was equity at the time. And um, the guy came into a lobby and he said, what the, f you know, I can't, my cell phone isn't working. How come we don't have Wi-Fi? We need Wi-Fi in every F in one of these buildings. And everybody he was with was like, oh, uh, 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 yeah, okay. So 35, 40 buildings later, we'd done lobby Wi-Fi, conference room Wi-Fi, <laughs> just basically off of one guy's anger. And that was really a launching point for the scale of it because in that process, pretty soon, very, very quickly, you have to have a process for everything. And that's like the one thing probably everyone on who's listening to this has to remember, like when it comes to commercial real estate, you have to have a process for everything. Our change management document is 68 pages. Wow. Yeah, with flow charts. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. okay. So that was like the IT side started first and then the OT side started after that. And is that the two yeah. sides of the business? Yeah, and that actually what you're really getting at is that there's a gap there. Um, mm, the IT yeah. side really was leaving uh, technology at the PMO office and sometimes they had to delve in because there was no one to connect something and they'd start hanging stuff off the management network um, on the ot side we all kind of know there's not a lot of tech experience or even uh, interest on that side of the ot so their controls people and they're the walk the building manage the systems kind of people hands-on so there was this very clear gap that was happening and that was kind of what we saw as the opportunity. We're going to go into this gap. We're going to make a building specific network, a dedicated building network. That's an enterprise network. We're going to connect anything and everything over time that you want to connect or that needs to be connected, route the data where it needs to go, have systems talk to each other, but make it a provisioning process off of the central network that's only for building systems. And so it took a little while you know, IT kind of would go, well, wait, what's our role? And then you'd say, well, if you want to manage this, and it was like, you know, 
BMS, system sensors, seismic detection, like leak detectors. You own it. It's your network. We don't own the network. So, and they're like, ah, no, we don't, we don't, have, we don't even it. have the staff yeah. for that. We can't reach into that. It's too okay. So that's kind of how that happens. So it's really the ITOT gap that we're directly kind of filling and then making it a plug and play kind of situation mm. where something new comes along. You say, great, you can connect it to the switch on 15. We open up port 22 and, you know, we get your, obviously get the technical requirements from the vendor, but then it's running. So we kind of got everybody on board. It's like the facilities manager's like, that's awesome. And then the PMO is like, that's a great. And then the vendor's like, that's the easiest one we've ever done. So that was the goal. Got it. Got it. All right, cool. Yeah. So this is a, a huge part of the Nexus Foundations course that we're teaching right now. And part of this is like translating all the different buzzwords around this concept. So can you kind of take us through, so we have like an enterprise network, you said, there's like a base building network, some people call it, there's um, yep. IP convergence. Can you kind of do the 101 aspect of this as well? Like, what do you tell people that are new to this concept? It's really, it's really good. Uh, you know, when things are developing in an industry, you do, you have this confusion. And so some people will call it a converged network or a base building network. I, I like base building network because it kind of implies dedication, a dedicated network for a purpose. And you've, you've really got a diverse array of systems that get hung on it. And people often ask us, well, how does that help us with a smart building? And the answer is the enterprise class nature means something. It's not just a buzzword. It means change management. It means mm. an SLA with 99.999% uptime. It means things like locked cabinets with codes that you really can't access unless you've given a code from us to get in there. So we're tracking every movement in the building as it pertains to any change that pertains to the, uh, the building network. And then the answer to back to the customer, the client is, it's up to you. Do you want destination dispatch? Do you want access control talking to the elevator? Do you want that connected in a third way to the BMS and heating up an area of the building? So our uh, approach to that is, as you can imagine, totally agnostic. We're always happy to like tell people what works, what we've seen work and what we've seen stumble or have problems. But we don't care if you're going to push every piece of data from the BMS to the occupancy sensors, to the health scanner, to the, the lighting control, to the cloud and normalize in the database, great. We'll make sure it all gets there. That's the, the, those are the quotes I see week after week on your podcast. It's people saying things like, well, we'd like to go back up and scrape something from the cloud and, and perform an action, but you, know, you can't count on the connectivity. And it's like, yes, you can count, you can count. <laughs> It's, it's it. redundancy. You know, there's a lot of things around redundancy. So you've got like the way you architect a network. If you don't know what you're doing, you daisy chain it. And if you do know what you're doing, you run separate fiber to each switch. And then you even can do a little fancy thing at the end to create a loop and get even more redundancy. But hmm. there are ways to architect enterprise networks. Uh, another big one is redundancy of bandwidth. You don't just pick Comcast and AT&T. You look and analyze where are the pathways? Are they diverse pathways? Do they come into the building in different locations? Those things can matter someday. And you mm. want to make sure that you've analyzed all of that when you're setting these up. So it's a very deep and enterprise class network is really something that we're leveraging a bunch of our experience and 
building out fiber networks for ISPs and things like that. But, you know, what it comes down to is if you go to like a Microsoft campus, they're going to be a lot closer to an enterprise network than your average building. Got it. Okay. And is this a Brownfield thing or just Greenfield? Like how's that happening on projects today? Yeah. So I'd say 90% now of what we do is uh, Brownfield or, or retrofit because there's usually a need that's triggering it in the building. They're connecting something and that's triggering the need for a network. And then you go in and you say, you know, here's what we can do within your budget. And here's what you can put into 2020. Our goal is to give a path, right? And, mm -hmm. and anybody's would be, here's your path. Here's what's most urgent. Here's what you can do in next year as budget allows, et cetera, et cetera. So 90% of it's there. The other 10% is really just because we're coming out of a market that's existing buildings. Mm. So we're naturally going to have an overweight on that. But now, once you sort of make your way through certain companies, they're bringing you in at the beginning as this building's coming out of the ground. And that's the really interesting part because you're seeing designs that were five years old that have like just, it, it's a total disconnect between there are 15 systems that need networks and we designed this for a BMS network. So that disconnect, that gap is another one where we're going right in and saying, hey, look, we can wipe that problem off the table. We're going to build this. You're going to connect everything to that. And then you're going to have an SLA on top of it. So that really is the future, whether it's, you know, us or somebody like us doing that, whether it's a BMS company that figures out, hey, this needs to be more neutral and agnostic, but we need to have this. It's just that today, a lot of those companies, we work with them all the time and they would be the first to tell you, we don't have a networking background. So we just don't really know how to do that. Right, right. Hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, so you talked to me at, at some point in the last couple of weeks around all the different types of systems you're seeing get connected to buildings oh, yeah. these days. So yeah. you said there's something like 30. So can you kind of walk through like what you're seeing? Because as you know, yeah. a lot of this audience comes from the sort of HVAC, maybe a little lighting, little energy management perspective, and they might yeah. not realize the number of systems that are getting connected these days. I, I think that's a surprise for um, almost everybody we talk to who's not living it. And that's one of the reasons I love this podcast is because a lot of the discussions are around, you know, the BMS naturally because that's, mm -hmm. that's the ultimate start point for providing value and technology. But you're sort of looking at these things in a silo, which is yeah. exactly what it's not anymore. And so you've got things like, I mean, an obvious one, security cameras everywhere, Wi-Fi networks everywhere. Then you've got a lot of things we're seeing now, health scanners, temperature sensors, occupancy sensors. These things may or may not touch the BMS. They just need to be passing data somewhere. So there's that. And you've got things like key management and you've got digital signage is a big one. All of these need network connections. The cameras and the signage and elevators need connections. You've got um, fitness equipment is one of the like big ones happening right now. All of the Peloton world has created this wow. massive connectivity requirement. And while we would love all 20 of those bikes to like be connected to the BMS and like crank up the AC when, you know, it's getting yeah. stuffy in there, that's just not, that's not where we are. Right. But they still need connections. So there's just lots of things like that. And then leak detection has become mm -hmm. one of the ones we're seeing just go right through the country because there is an ROI there. They basically get an insurance discount by installing it in a certain way at a certain level. 
So, um, so you're seeing people take advantage of that ROI and just start putting leak detection in all over the country. And then some of the more esoteric ones, which even these, we've got a dozen or more installed um, or connected, like trash compactors. There are these sensors now that have to tell people when it's getting full and when it needs to be changed and they're billing, uh, some billing associated with that. Just water treatment, irrigation, like everything needs an IP address now. So you're either stuck reinventing the wheel each time or you've got to connect it to some centralized monitored place. And you know, that's the message, like don't forget BMS people, there's like this burgeoning giant in parallel connectivity issue that's happening right at the same time. You know, these things are all, we're doing this every day at scale now within hundreds of buildings. So it's- Right, uh, and, yeah. and this is one of the things where I feel like we haven't started to, like you said, a lot of times we're pulling data out of the building and we're using it to do one or two things. And that data is usually then being used by one or two people. But I feel like we haven't quite gotten as like a Nexus nerd community, we haven't quite wrapped our heads around all the different possibilities that like once you connect all these systems together. So like advanced supervisory control is yep. an example. We've been talking about it. You know, we talked about it the last member gathering. I've been writing essays for months. I think a lot of our imagination around that is just let's control the HVAC better, or maybe we can add lights into the HVAC control sequences yeah. and coordinate yes. them. But really, I think what we're talking about is like, what if you're able to, you know, enable this next use case? And what if you can take the trash compactor data and send that to the billing system That's and the it. billing system could trigger some other, you know, I, I feel like we haven't even begun to really catalog and sort of narrow in on maybe like a hierarchy of use cases. Like you, you connect these systems and now you've enabled these use cases. You connect these systems and now you've enabled, you know. We haven't quite got there. And so that's one of the places that I, I would like to take uh, these conversations more. So I appreciate you for bringing, bringing them up. Well, you have a good point because I think this community is starting in the right place. All of the discussions and podcasts about normalizing data, tagging data, standardization, that is the first and foremost requirement. And you're starting at the right place where most of this needs to start which is really with the BMS because you're going to get the most value immediately on an ROI and that's what this industry values. So totally agree like that has to be done first and those conventions have to be established and in place. And the nice thing is once that's happened and it's going to take a long time, it is, but I mean, people are making really significant progress. The, you know, ASIOTs and telemations, they get it and that's happening. When that gets big enough and standard enough, then you're going to see the ability for a building to now tag and pass, you know, air quality data, tag and pass leak detection data, tag and pass metering or anything else, digital signage. There's sort of a vast universe out there, seismic detection out here in California, you know, that's a, that's a big one. So yeah. the fact that is once you've got the center piece worked out, you can then incrementally add these things and then you really do have some power. You really can start doing fancy things. Cool. So let's talk about the savings from this concept real quick. So I think the capital, like the renovation or uh, new build savings are pretty straightforward to me. Yeah. You know, you're reducing hardware, right. you're reducing potentially service contracts from, you know, 
people being able to manage the hardware and software that yeah. comes along with all this redundancy that you're getting rid of. I'm a little bit more cloudy on the operations side. So when you think about like the operating costs of yeah. all of these siloed networks versus the operating costs of a converged network, yeah. like what do those numbers look like? You know, it's funny coming from real estate to me, that's what I throw. I know I put on my, my operational hat and I'm like, well, that goes in the soft cost bucket. Like when you tell me that I'm going to get 30 cents more foot up for this solution, I'm like, oh, that goes over here. So we really try to stay away from the labor savings. We, we actually try to let the solution speak for itself and let people see that because trying to quantify it, even if we really did it and did a really good job of it, it's not believable to the people who are making decisions. It's just sort of like another stat that somebody's throwing at me that I can't prove. And so we've always tried to stick with like, and we're very much this way, the nuts and bolts of savings. So the ones that everybody understands are like this. Um, you've got eight circuits in your building and they're running eight different things. They're running this sliding control and they're running this BMS and they're running, well, we're gonna take those eight and we're gonna have two. And those two are gonna be full throttle, redundant, you know, high availability, we're gonna give you two firewalls and those are gonna be configured in high availability and with all the bells and whistles that you'd kind of expect. And now we're gonna take that, those other six circuits, which are 300 bucks pop, and we're gonna pass that right back to you. So all of a mm. sudden you've got $1,800 a month that you didn't have mm. that you now have. So can you pay us that 1,800 to manage the network? Yeah, you can. We're gonna, a lot of times we're coming in on a new solution. And so right. the network a costs new BMS or new yeah, whatever, and, yeah, whatever it is, and and the the building system has got a network cost, and it's like you can take that out, put this in, and then every single new solution that you ever put in this building has a zero network cost. So they get that, you know, that yeah. directly translates. And then the the only one that's sort of longer term is there's a big especially with buildings that are 50 stories, 60 stories, there's a big cabling cost savings because when you have architected yeah. this network, you're connecting to the nearest switch. You're not running fiber again, all the way to the MPO that's 30 grand or 35 grand and all the other costs associated. So, wow. so and then we just started quantifying this recently, but there's an energy savings because you're not running eight networks, you're running one network. So you've got the equipment energy. Like embodied savings. energy of all of that material. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So those are the ones we kind of stick with. The facilities manager, uh, the chief engineer, they love it. I mean, they do. When, once they realize, oh, I just tell them we're doing this on this floor and it can get connected. But to try to say, oh, we're saving the building money. I mean, the reality is that guy's still there with the salary. So he may be saving hours. <laughs> And he may be mm -hmm. doing something else with those hours, but we always try to stay away from that a little bit because it's like one of those unprovable metrics. Totally. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. So I want to talk about a couple of things as we kind of close out this episode. So what have you seen as far as client stories when people try to create a smart building without starting at this step? What have you seen happen versus what have you seen happen when you start here first and then use this step to enable uh, a smart building? The biggest thing that happens is, you know, can you connect access control, the elevator and the BMS and, and make those functionally work together? Yes. 
a month later, can somebody be doing a TI on the seventh floor, go in, need a power outlet, unplug the outlet to plug in his power tool, and then take down every floor above you and have the whole thing shut down and have, you know, yes, yes, that really truly happens. So that's the, you know, when you talk not enterprise, non-enterprise, that's, you know, when you say there's a process for everything, that's a great example of something that really happens. Um, does a chief engineer get, you know, some type of new device and uh, need to plug it in and he just walks into the riser and he walks up to the switch and he plugs one in here and he plugs one in, oh yeah, it's working. Well, yes, but you're working on a flat network with something else that's working and it's not long before these two things clash. So okay. that, again, that's like, what would you do in the enterprise world? Well, nothing works on the port level until you provision it. But mm. these things are just getting thrown in and they work for a while, but then they, there's a power outage. It takes everything out because there's no UPS. And then they have to reboot everything and something doesn't come up on the seventh floor and nobody knows what to do because there's nobody involved with any kind of network experience. That's reality, I can say, for most buildings today. So. It's, um, it's a real problem. And I bet people listening right now are going to go, that's a great idea. Let's get into that business. So we welcome it because, you know, somebody needs to jump in as well. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something that I want to just key in on before we close out. So you talked about connecting the BMS and the elevator and access control. Something I'm seeing as an issue here is we often think about that as like, let's do that in sort of a one-off way because we only have a couple of systems in the building, right? Or we used yeah. to only have a couple of connected yeah. systems in the building. Yeah. So let's just sort of in a one-off way, connect these three things together, enable this, you know, one or two use cases. But what I'm seeing as like that mindset is limiting when you have 30 systems connected, right? And right. so I guess my question leads into, is there some sort of software layer needed here to manage all these connections? And I guess part three of the question is like, yeah. Who manages the naming and the data model and how all these systems are passing data to one another and like the semantic aspect of this? It's, it's such a good question. It's ugly is the answer. It's not in a good place right now. I mean, the, the truth is, is that even when we connect things centrally, whether they're centrally connected or not, a lot of this is still going to a single location for a single purpose. It's mm -hmm. very rare. I mean, I can't, I honestly, less than a handful of, let's call it, you know, 300, 350 buildings, less than a handful are really integrating at, yeah. with any meaning that way. And the truth is, I mean, this comes back to this and we'll talk about it someday, but it's like every dollar that these people are spending on a recurring basis is worth 15 to $20. So mm -hmm. A $10,000 solution, a $10,000 a month solution is not that to them because it's impacting value. And so that 10,000, which is 120,000, you have to then multiply that by 15. And all of a sudden you're at two and a half million dollars for something that you're in your mind is thinking, hey, this is $10,000 a month. The cost sensitivity is preventing a more holistic approach to this and so you know you can present the full picture but it very quickly gets ratcheted down to i only need this for this purpose and that is you know in this big world you've got campuses and college campuses and microsoft campuses those things they don't have that cost sensitivity the same way 
Hmm. But when you talk about the mass market and getting into the mass market, you're talking about cost sensitivity that is unlike any other industry because there's an exponential value attached to it. And so that's the big nut that we have to crack as a community is finding ways to message that and work our way in. Because once you're in, different world. You're part of the budget, you're part of the cost structure, and now they're looking at other ways to grow revenue. But getting in is very, very difficult. That's the tough one. And that is a great teaser <laughs> into the next episode with Joe. So if you don't know what he's talking about, tune in to the next one and we'll, we'll take you through CRE Finance 101. Yes. But thanks, Joe, for this intro to Converge Networks, Building Level Networks, Base Building Networks, all the, uh, the buzzwords around what sounds like a great opportunity for a lot of buildings out there. So thanks for coming on the show. You bet, man. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, please subscribe at nexus.substack.com. You can find show notes for this conversation there as well. As always, please reach out on LinkedIn with any thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.